Amen. Well, we are in 1 Samuel chapter 19. So let's open up our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 19. And as we get into this chapter, I want to share this with you. This chapter actually is the beginnings of the greatest trial that David will ever face. From this day forward, understand this, from this day forward, David will run for about 10 plus years as a, fugitive, as a fugitive. In other words, he's going to be running and hiding from King Saul. King Saul is going to hunt him down like a wild animal and he's going to desire to destroy him, to kill him, to take him out. And what's, what's, what's so crazy about all of this is that David did nothing wrong. Imagine that David did nothing wrong, and yet he has this great trial before him. He has this madman of a king that desires to kill him, to take him out. But what's so amazing about all of this is that God allowed the trial. God allowed David to go through this. And why is it that God would allow David to go through this? See, what happens in our lives when we go through trials is that God wants to grow us. God wants to develop us. You know, God was developing David into the greatest king that Israel ever had. And the same thing with us. He wants to develop us into being men and women of great faith. To be used in a powerful way as we depend on God in and through our lives. One thing about David, David would not become the king that he became unless... He went through this trial. Unless he grew in this trial. See, David became a great man of faith only because of the trial that he would have, that he would go through. And as we know, and as you understand, and maybe some of you don't know this, and maybe some of you are barely growing or have just come into the faith, but you really don't know what you're made of. Okay, in the Lord, unless you pass through the fire. See, none of us really know how we are as people of God unless we go through trials. We don't know what flavor we are until we're placed, what, in hot water. And so, as we go through these things, understand this is that God wants to reveal who we are. And once a trial, once we pass a trial, we see ourselves, right, just praising God and growing in our faith, knowing that it is God that pulled us through. And as we look at this, right, if you want to know a person's faith, if you want to know what a person is made of, let's see how they do in the fire. That's how you can see what a man is made of, what a woman is made of. See how they are in the fire. See, every single one of us, we're going to go through fiery trials. That's one of the things that each and every one of us will experience. There is not one person here that will be absent from any trials. In other words, you're not going to get a free pass. None of us get free passes. Every single one of us go through trials as believers, as Christians. And God's desire is that we would grow because He wants to perfect us. He wants to mature us. And trials are essential for Christian maturity and growth. And most of all, it increases our faith. And because of these things that I've been sharing with you, understand that, that we have scripture, a scripture in the Bible that says to count it all joy. Imagine this, to count the trials we have as joy. See, many times, none of us like going through trials. I'm one of them. I, I don't like them. I'll be honest with you. I just want to be transparent. I don't like going through trials, but I do know one thing, that at the end, I am a lot better than I was when I first started. After I complete the trial, I see myself growing. I see myself maturing. I see myself becoming better and better. And I see my character, most of all, that's developing. See, it's about our character becoming more like Jesus. It's about us becoming more like Him. It's a time of maturity. See, many times we want the easy ride, don't we? We do want that, right? We all, 
We all want to become better. We want to mature. We want our character to become better. And, and we're, we think that without trials, we, this can happen. But that's a lie. It can't happen without trials. It can't happen with us going through, through the things that we're put through. Look at what it says in James chapter 1, verse 2. It says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Okay? And it just doesn't say one, right? It doesn't say count it all joy when you fall into one trial. God reminds us that we're going to be in various trials. Okay? So we're going to have more than one. Knowing that the testing of your faith, there's going to be a testing of your faith. Are you going to hold on to God? Are you going to hang on to God? Are you going to allow God to carry you through? Are you just going to call it quits and just say, you know what? I can't take it. I don't like this. But know that that what happens through all of this is that that there is a testing, right? And and it's producing patience in us. And patience is 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 great character, right? Waiting on things, waiting on the Lord, hoping in the Lord. And then it says, let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You know what? There's just, when we go through these trials, I want you to understand one thing, that there is, there is a, a, a shaping and a molding. There's a perfecting and a completing. You know, you're growing. You're becoming stronger. And you're lacking nothing. And, and I'll tell you this, is that your maturity level just goes higher and higher with each trial. Because we depend on God. We trust in God. Our hope is in God. And we know one thing is that He is just molding us and shaping us. And as we look at today, every trial that you go through, I want you to know this, is that God is in complete control of it. Every trial, I want you to know this, God is in complete control. That's what's so awesome is that He is just moving everything. Even though we don't see it, even though we can't understand it, even though, you know, well, we're blinded to what God is doing, but we know that He's in complete control because we're His kids. It's just like you, right? You're, you're watching, you're constantly watching your kids. For those of you that have kids, you're constantly watching them to make sure that, 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 they're, that you know what, that nothing bad happens to them. That, you know what, that they don't, you know what, that they don't, you know, mess themselves up and they, and that they, they're not destroyed by, by certain things or, or taken or abused. We're looking at all of this, right? And so that's the same way God keeps His eyes on us through every single trial. And understand this, every trial He has preordained, He has called us to walk in, and it's for His purpose, and He knows what He's doing. Today we're going to look at five points on trials. Okay, we're going to look at five points as we go through the Scriptures and these are five points that the Lord gave to me to share with all of you. And so what we're going to do now is we're going to read 1 Samuel chapter 19. And then we'll go, uh, we'll go through the verses and, and we'll look at the five points that the Lord has for us here. So let's begin to read verse 1 of 1 Samuel chapter 19. It says this. Now Saul spoke to Jonathan his son and to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan... Saul's son delighted greatly in David. So Jonathan told David, saying, My father Saul seeks to kill you. Therefore, please be on your guard until morning, and stay in a secret place and hide. And I will go out and stand besides my father in the field where you are, and I will speak with my father about you. Then what I observe, I will tell you. Thus Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul his father and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant, against David, because he, David, has not sinned against you and because his works have been very good towards you. For he took his life in his hands and killed the Philistine, talking about Goliath there. And the Lord brought about a great deliverance for all Israel. You saw it yourself, he's telling King Saul, his, his father. Why then will you sin against innocent blood to kill David without a cause? And so Saul heeded the voice of Jonathan, his son, and Saul swore, As the Lord lives, he shall not be killed. And then Jonathan called David, and Jonathan told him all these things. So Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as in times past. 
And there was war again, and David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a mighty blow, and they fled from him. Now the distressing spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in his house with his spear in his hand, and David was playing music with his hand. And then Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear, but he slipped away from Saul's presence, and he drove the spear into the wall, so David fled and escaped that night. Saul also sent messengers to David's house to watch him and to kill him in the morning and make all. David's wife told him, saying, If you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michal let David down through a window, and he went and fled and escaped. And Michal took an image and laid it in the bed, put a cover of goat's hair for his head, and covered it with clothes. So when Saul sent messengers to David to take David, she said, He is sick. And then Saul sent the messengers back to see David, saying, Bring it up to me in the bed, that I may kill him. And when the messengers had come in, there was the image in the bed, with a cover of goat's hair for his head. And then Saul said to Michal, Why have you deceived me like this? And sent my enemy away so that he has escaped. And Michal answered Saul, He said to me, let me go, why should I kill you? So David fled and escaped and went to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and stayed in Naioth. Naioth? Now it was told Saul, saying, take no, David is at Naioth in Ramah. Then Saul sent messengers to take David, and when they saw the group of prophets prophesying, And Samuel, standing as leader over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. And when Saul Saul was told, he sent other messengers, and they prophesied likewise. Then Saul sent messengers again the third time, and they prophesied also. Then he also went to Ramah and came to the great well, that is, Seku. So he asked and said, Where are Samuel and David? And someone said, Indeed, they are at Naioth in Ramah. So he went there to Naioth in Ramah. Then the Spirit of God was upon him also. And he went on and prophesied until he came to Naioth in Ramah. And he also stripped off his clothes and prophesied before Samuel in like manner. And lay down naked all that day and all that night. Therefore, they say, is Saul also among the prophets? So you see here, right? You see here, a, you know, a very, I mean, just a, a, I should say events. You see here events, right, with, with Saul and Jonathan. And you see how, you know, Saul is after I mean, with Saul and David, you see how Saul is after David. He just wants to take him out. He wants to kill David. And then you also see here with Saul, right? He's, he's trying everything that he possibly can to murder David. He wants him out. And so let's talk about this. Let's go, let's go back to verse 1 and we'll get into some details as to the attempts that Saul had upon David's life. And, and we're going to see this, this great trial that that David will go through for the next 10 plus years. So let's read verse 1. It says, Now Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants, that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted greatly in David. So as you see here, as you see here, the command from King Saul, right? The command from King Saul is, you know what? I want David killed. Plain and simple. There's no, you know, sugarcoating. He's not saying, you know what, let's do this, let's do that. He's just saying, we want, I want David killed. See, King Saul envied David. Remember, King Saul knew that, that the throne was ripped away from him by, by God. Samuel told him this. And, and basically, Saul knew that there was someone else that would be replacing him. And when he saw David slay Goliath... 
He saw David take out Goliath and, and David's just moved by faith, right? He says, There's, you know what? This is the Lord's battle and the Lord is going to take him down. And he told this to, to King Saul. And so everybody was in awe of the faith of David. And in being in awe of the faith of David and the victory that David had through the Lord, Saul knew there's something different about this man. And so he goes out and he starts fighting the Philistines and he has victory after victory. And all of a sudden the people start praising David. Everyone starts falling in love with David. David was just a man that just had this, you know what, this charisma about him, right? This, this aroma about him. He just... You know what, people love this man and they love him because he had the Spirit of God overflowing from him, right? And so, as Saul is looking at all of this and knowing in the back of his mind that he has a replacement. He's been told by God that there is a replacement that's a neighbor of his. So, his eyes are always looking and trying to figure out who's going to take my place. I'm not going to let them take my place, right? And so, deep down in his heart, he knows it's David. And he envies David, right? The, the one who had the Lord. The man who in his heart loved the Lord. And so he envied him, right? And, and I want to share this with you. Saul was unsuccessful in getting David killed. See, there were previous attempts that Saul had made or that Saul wanted to put him in situations where David's life would be taken, but yet he was unsuccessful, See, King Saul tried everything he could to kill David. Remember, he made David a captain over a thousand men. He wanted him out in the battlefield because he wanted David dead. But yet David kept having victory over uh, victory after victory. And the, the Bible tells us that David was extremely successful because the Lord was with him. And so he gave him victory after victory. And we also read that King Saul attempted with his own spear to take David out. He threw a spear at him twice, right? Two different events, and yet David escaped. So, you know what? The attempts were there, and then he says, you know what? I'm going to give you my wife, but I want you to do one thing. I want you to go and kill Philistines. And David says, you know what? I'm a poor man. I, I can't take your wife. So Saul gets upset, and Saul gives his, the oldest daughter to another man, and then he finds out that Michal loves David. So he says, you know what? I'm going to get Michal to get David. And I'm going to ask David to give me a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. In other words, go out there and fight. Go out there and get killed, right? So that I don't have to do it. And I'm going to let someone else do it. So he tells David, you know what? Bring me a hundred foreskin of Philistine soldiers. And guess what? He not only brings a hundred, he brings two hundred. Remember, the Lord was with David. And this is what brought David great success because the Lord was with him. And so, so Saul, in every attempt that he had, he fails. In every murderous plot that he has, he fails. And so now, Saul is at a point where he's just saying, you know what? That's it. I want David murdered. And so that's where we're at here, right? We're at here in verse 1, he, he tells Jonathan, he tells Jonathan, and not only Jonathan, but all of his servants. You know, we covered, what was it, I think three weeks ago, we covered about Jonathan and David's relationship. Jonathan was King Saul's son. Him and David had an amazing relationship, right? They, they made a covenant with one another. And they were there protecting one another. They were loyal to one another because, see, Jonathan was just like David, a man of great faith. It's amazing when you think about Jonathan, right? Jonathan was also a man of faith, just like David. And when he saw David's faith, he, you know what? He was knitted together with David. Because remember when Jonathan, he went against a Philistine garrison by himself with an armor bearer and they defeated a military post of the Philistines just by faith. Just like David, when David says, I'm going after Goliath. Jonathan was the same way. And he took out all of these soldiers of the Philistines. So when he saw David, he says, him and I, you know what? We got the spirit of the Lord, don't we? And it knitted David and Jonathan together. Because they loved God and the spirit of God was in them. And so Jonathan, as we covered, he, he gave David all of his armor to, as a sign of loyalty. And not only of loyalty, but to say, you know what? 
as you fight with the Spirit of the Lord with no armor, I don't either. And he took off all of his armor and he gave it to David to show again the faith that they had in God. And not only in that, but in yielding to him because he knew that that would be the future king. And so we have here, you know, we, uh, we have here that, that it tells us that Jonathan delighted greatly in David. And I want to share this with you also. The servants of Saul also loved David. You know, they admired David. It tells us this in, in 1 Samuel 18, in verse 5, it tells us that they accepted and truly loved David. And so you have a, a situation here, and it's a very, you know what, difficult situation for Jonathan. Right? Because his dad, remember, we're talking about the king. Not only is King Saul asking Jonathan to kill David, but King Saul is also his father. So not only is he the king, but Saul is his father. So you have the king as well as his father asking him to do something. So what is Jonathan going to do? Let's read verse 2. So Jonathan told David, saying, My father Saul seeks to kill you. Therefore, please be on guard until morning and stay in a secret place and hide. So you can imagine the pressure, right? The pressure that Jonathan had. Am I going to obey the, uh, the king as well as my father? Or am I going to side with, John, with, with David? And you know what? You, just, you can imagine this, right? Because there is a spiritual warfare going on here because the devil doesn't want David to survive. Remember, David defeated Goliath, and Goliath was actually a symbol of the devil himself. It was the devil's representative. And so David killed Goliath, which means that the devil wanted David out. So you could imagine as he's moving Saul to do all these things, right? Imagine the, the injections into the mind of Jonathan telling him, you got to kill David. You got to honor your father and mother, mother. And remember, they knew the Ten Commandments. And what does the Fifth Commandment say? Honor what? Your father and your mother. And so you have, I'm sure, John, Jonathan knew the Scriptures. Remember, he was a man filled by the Spirit. He loved the Lord. He loved God's Word. And so you have the enemy injecting him and telling him, honor your father and mother. Listen to your father. Listen to your king. But I want you to know this. This is what's so amazing because a man and a woman of God will always do what it tells us in Acts chapter 5 verse 29. We ought to obey God rather than men. We ought to obey God rather than men. I want you to know this. You are always going to be placed in a situation where you will have to make a choice to obey God or to obey man. It's going to be your parents, it's going to be your children, it's going to be your, your, you know what, your husband, your wife. And if they ever ask you to sin, just like Saul was asking Jonathan to sin, who are you going to obey? Are you going to obey those that are asking you to sin? Or are you going to obey God? A man or a woman of God will always obey God rather than men. See, God must be the priority. And I've been sharing this. And I don't know. You know what? God is continuing to speak to us about this. That we must place God as number one. The priority over all of our relationships. And as we have these people or individuals that are asking us to sin, understand this. We are not to sin against God. We are to continually obey God. We're continually to do as He says. Remember this, God trumps man. He trumps man. I'm not talking about Donald Trump. We're talking about God trumps man. Okay? And we must always remember that. And so Jonathan goes to David and we see here, right? He tells him everything. Most importantly, he tells him, guess what? My father wants to kill you. And this is the beginning of David running like a fugitive for the next 10 plus years. How many of you have seen, and you know what, there's, not, there's a few of you that are a little older here that remember this program. Who remembers here The Fugitive, the program from the 60s? Yeah, it's usually the older folks remember that. Not that you're all old, you're very young, but from the 60s. I was born in 1962, that makes me 52, 53. But you know what, this program was just like what we see here. In the fugitive, remember, he was a doctor that was falsely accused of killing what? 
his wife. And all of a sudden there's a train wreck and he's able to escape. And the series is all about this, the police after him. And he's always helping people. And you have this, right? He was innocent of any crime. Just like David. David is completely innocent of any crime. But he's running like a fugitive. And understand this is that you and I, we're going to face the same challenges in life. I want you to know this. You and I, at our jobs, because you're a Christian, guess what? You're going, to, you're going to go through trials. Even though you don't do anything wrong, you're going to go through trials just because you're a Christian. You're going to be falsely accused. You're going to be mocked. You're going to be, uh, people are going to isolate themselves from you. People are going to want to attack you because of your Christianity. Even though you do nothing wrong, people will come against us. It's just part of who we are. Just like the Lord says, right? Because the world hated me, they're going to hate you. I'm going to share this with you. At my job, when I was working, I remember when I first joined, uh, for those of you that, that don't know, when I first joined, uh, when I first got the job at BMW, you know, I was working for the corporate office. And uh, when I was there, I remember I was out in the field. I had uh, an assignment of 12 BMW dealerships, mini stores, Rolls Royce stores, as well as motorcycle stores. And so I would go out and visit these stores and the Lord was with me. And the Lord, as he was with me, you know, he allowed me to succeed at my job because he was with me. And so the guys that were my counterparts, my colleagues, my other field guys, they were extremely, they, they attacked me basically. It was just constantly mocking me, constantly, you know what, uh, conspiring against me. They would talk to my boss about certain things look at tony look at what he does and he shouldn't do that and and he he shouldn't be doing this and so it was a constant battle that was going on there and a lot of these things it was all false but you know what was so amazing about all of this is that after a few years and i remained faithful to the lord and i continued to do what he asked me to do that every single person that came against me by the time i left bmw and this was in july none of them were employed there anymore every single one of them got fired can you believe that that was amazing. And, and we're talking about, you know what, it, it was just an, an awesome time. But see, you experience this. And I think many of us are familiar with this, right? Where, where we have accusations against us and we've done nothing wrong. We do nothing wrong, but yet we have the enemy that accuses us. That he, that he remember, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but he incites people to come against us. And this is what happens. And this is what happened to David. For no reason, he was, he was about to go through some, you know what, through some heavy trials, even though he did nothing wrong. But yet, God allowed it. Okay? God allowed it. God wanted to shape this man into the future king of Israel. And in order to shape him into the future king of Israel, he needed to go through these trials. And you know what? One of the things that, that we know is that God uses trials to shape us. Okay? And that's going to be my first point that I want to talk about trials is the fact that God uses trials to shape you. See, we are all being shaped and molded. And what's the end result that you must be or you must become? Like Jesus, right? That's your end result. If you ever want to know what God is shaping you into, it's Jesus. That's what He's shaping you into. Whatever trials you're going through, God is shaping and molding you to become more like Jesus. And that's what He does, right? And, and to know, how many of us want to be like Jesus? Every single one. We're here, right? I don't think nobody would come to church on a Wednesday unless you wanted to be like Jesus, right? Unless you wanted to be better. Unless you wanted to become like Him. Many of us say we want to be like Jesus, but how many of us say, I want to suffer like Jesus, show of hands? Any of you saying, I want to suffer like you, Jesus? I don't think any of, them, any of us want to say that, right? I know I just want to go through the suffering that he went through, but this suffering is essential to become like him. If you want to be like Jesus, you just can't pick and choose how you want to be like Jesus. Oh, Jesus, I want to be loving just like you. Jesus, I want to be giving just like you. Jesus, I want to be a servant just like you. But Jesus, I don't want to be suffering like you. We can't say that. See, we have to take it all. We got to be like Jesus in all areas. And this is part of it. This is why David was going through what he went through. 
to be shaped and molded. And this is what Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us as an example that you should follow His steps. Can you see that? Can you want me to read that again? So it could hit home, so we know why we're going through trials. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us as an example that you should follow His steps. See, each and every one of us, we suffer. We're going to suffer to, to follow His steps, to become like Jesus. And this is part of our growth. This is part of us becoming more and more like Him. Without this suffering, without the trials, we're not going to be like Him. I want you to know that. And this is why it's the hardest thing for us. Because see, it wasn't easy for Jesus to go to the cross. It wasn't easy for Jesus to know that, you know what, that when He's on that cross, He will be separated from the one that He's been united with from beginning of time. Well, that always exists, no beginning of time. From the, he would be separated from the one that He was always with. Imagine that. He knew that on that cross, He would take upon the sins of the world and He would be separated from the one that He was united with all the time. It wasn't easy. And to put on flesh and to know that, you know what, I got to take nails on my hands because I am 100% man with flesh and I'm going to put nails through my hands. I know this is going to happen because I foretold it to Isaiah how I would suffer. How they would put uh, thorns on my head. How they would beat me up. They would be slugging my face when I wouldn't look. How they would throw a spear through my side, on my feet. How they would give me the, the lashes with the cat of nine tails that would pull out my skin as well as my bones. He knew all of this. But as I shared with you this past Sunday, He wanted to show us what He's made of. That even in His weakest point, He was the strongest. Where He conquered death, where He conquered sin, where He rose from the dead, where He disarmed principalities and powers of darkness. You and I have been called to suffer just like Jesus. If we want to be like Him, we're going to go through trials. Let's keep reading. Verse 3 goes on to say, And I will go out and stand beside my Father in the field where you are, and I will speak with my Father about you. Then what I observe, I will tell you. Thus Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant, against David, because he has not sinned against you. And because his works have been very good toward you, for he took his life in his hands and killed the Philistine. And the Lord brought about a great deliverance for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood to kill David without a cause? You know what? It was great courage for David to come against the king. I want you to know that. To come against his father, for Jonathan to come against his father, to come against the king and to say, you know what? I'm standing up for David. I'm standing up for righteousness. How hard is it for us to defend righteousness? When you see things that are inappropriate at your job, do you say, you know what? I am standing up for righteousness. You know what? They did nothing wrong. Do we stand up for righteousness? Do we stand up for our friends, our family members when you see that? That you know what? That they're being falsely accused. This is what Jonathan did. He spoke against his father. This father hated David. And yet you have a friend that is willing to risk his life for David. Jonathan is willing to stand up to risk his life, to speak to the one that hates him, the one that is inspired by the devil himself to kill David, and yet he stands up for him. You know, the other day, how many of you read the story of... The man that, that shielded the woman from taking the bullet at the San Bernardino uh, killing last, last week. I don't know if you know this, but there was a man. She's the one that had the bullet in her back and she survived it and they rather leave the bullet in her back. 
But she said that this man that was there, you know, he was always a happy guy. I don't know if he was a Christian or not. I haven't read that part of it. But one of the things that is told is that when the shooters came in, when these these radical Muslims came in and led by the devil himself and began to to just shoot rounds of bullets, you know what he did? He he actually grabbed her, hugged her, and says, I got your back. And he took all the bullets and he himself was killed for her. You know, this is what friends do, right? Imagine. Isn't this what Jesus did for us? Jesus says, I'm going to take your penalty. The scriptures tell us, greater love has no one than, than this than to take his life for his friends. You know, you have Jonathan standing up for righteousness, standing up for his friend. As we keep reading in verse 6, it says this. So Saul heeded the voice of Jonathan, and Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he shall not be killed. Imagine this. Saul heeds the voice of Jonathan. Saul listened to Jonathan. He received the words of Jonathan, his son, for the moment. And what's so amazing about this is that Saul recognized that it was a Lord that was speaking here. It was a Lord that was speaking to Saul because he says, as the Lord lives, he shall not be killed. He is saying, David will not be killed as the Lord lives. Acknowledging that, you know what, you're right, Jonathan. You're right, you're speaking. This is from the Lord. And so, verse 7 goes on to say, Then Jonathan called David, and Jonathan told him all these things. So Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as in times past. So, you know what, good news, David. Guess what? My dad, he... He's not going to try to kill you anymore. You could come. And, and so he's right in the presence once again of King Saul. Remember why David was in the presence of Saul? It's because, remember, an evil spirit would come upon Saul. And David would soothe Saul. He would allow, as he would play with his harp, that the devil hated this worship that David was giving unto the Lord. So the devil, this demon would flee. And that's what you have here, right? You have, he's once again doing this. But look at what happens in verse 8. It says, and when there was a war again, and so David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a mighty blow, and they fled from him. And now the distressing spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in his house with his spear in his hand, and David was playing music with his hand. Then Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear, but he slipped away from Saul's presence, and he drove the spear into the wall so David fled and escaped that night. I first read here in verse, in, in verse 8, right? It says that war breaks out. And all of a sudden, once again, David has victory, right? David is successful. David has great success. And guess what? The success, it stirs up the heart of Saul once again. The envy comes out. The ugliness, that monster comes out of Saul. And because of this, you know what? This envy and this jealousy, guess what? An evil spirit once again comes upon him. This demon himself comes upon Saul. I want you to understand this, is that when we are envious, when we are jealous, that's a sin. Understand this. Envy, jealousy is a sin. And as Ephesians 4 tells us that when we sin, we open the door for the enemy to work. And so this is what happened here, right? You have this enemy, this demon himself, he comes once again upon Saul. And so he grabs his spear and throws it at David in a, an attempt to kill him. Remember what it says in John 8.44, how the devil is a murderer? This is what you see displayed here. This is what you see lived out. This demon is trying to murder what? David and he's using Saul to do this but understand this and this is point number two when it comes to trials God gives us a way of escape in every trial okay see you see a common theme here I want you to know this that every time David was ready to be pinned and and to and to be taken captive by the enemy you have David escaping. You have Jonathan helping David. 
And then you see here, uh, David dodges the spears and he escapes from the presence of Saul. And so what do you think David is thinking, right? I mean, as this is happening. See, for us, we see this, right? We see this here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, where the Lord speaks to us and tells us, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. He's talking about trials here. He's talking about these things, right? That no matter what, no matter what we're placed in, God gives us a way of escape. And that's what's so amazing about God, that He gives David a way to escape the king. And we're going to see this even throughout this chapter. What's so amazing about this chapter is that David is always given a way of escape from the hands of King Saul. King Saul never captures David. And this is what's so amazing. And this is what God wants to tell us, that no matter what trial you're going through, you're always going to have a way of escape. You're always going to be able to to run from the grips of the enemy. You know, when we think about this, right? Let's think about what David is thinking. Is David thinking, you know what? I was there in the palace. I could have taken King Saul, right? I mean, remember, David's a mighty warrior. So was King Saul. King Saul was an amazing warrior. David, in, the, in speaking of King Saul, at his death, he says, you know what? This guy was an amazing warrior, but so was David. But David had the Spirit of God and King Saul didn't, right? So David could have easily taken out King Saul. And so you think to yourself, would David be thinking these things about King Saul? I had him in the palace. I was in his house. You know what? I could go back even now and go and kill him. But that's not the mind of David. That is not the mind of David. And I'm going to give you what the mind of David is. But before we do that, let's read verse 11 and see what it says. Saul also sent messengers to David's house to watch him and to kill him in the morning. And Michal, David's wife, told him, saying, If you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michal led David down through a window and he went and fled and escaped. You see it again. God making the way of escape for David. Now he uses... King Saul's daughter. What we have here is Saul is sending messengers to David's house. See, David went home after Saul threw the spears, right? Have you ever had people throw spears at you? You may say you don't have spears thrown at you, but I'm going to tell you this, you do. When people are talking about you, when they're giving negative talk, they're throwing spears at you. What do we do? Do we run from it? Do we stay quiet and just walk away? Or do we fight back? The example from David, he just walked away. You know, as we see this, right, I want you to understand, what is our, how is our attitude going to be through, during the trial? Are we going to say, hey, I'm going to take out my enemy? Are we going to say, you know what, I'm going to do this and do that? Or are we going to say, you know what, God, I'm going to let you take care of it? Are we upset at God and telling God, you know what, God, why are you putting me through this trial? God, you are the one doing this trial to me. Don't you love me? I thought I was the apple of your eye. I thought I was dear to you, and yet you put me through these trials. Why do you do this to me, God? You know what? I'm not going to serve you anymore. You know what? I'm just going to stop serving you, right? We can all say these things. Or are we going to take the attitude that David took? And I want to give you his mind and his heart. It's from Psalm 59. Open your Bibles to Psalm 59. Because David wrote this psalm. He wrote this very psalm. I want you to know this. When these men were looking to kill David. When these men went to Michal's house to kill David. David wrote this psalm. This is what's so amazing. And he gives us the heart and the mind of David. And I'm going to read it to you all at once. We're running out of time. So I'm just going to summarize it after. It says, Deliver me from my enemies, O my God. Defend me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from the workers of inequity. And save me from bloodthirsty men. For look, they lie in wait for my life. The mighty gather against me, not for my transgression, nor for my sin, O Lord. They run and prepare themselves through no fault of mine. Awake to help me, and behold. You therefore, O Lord, God of hosts, the God of Israel, awake to punish all the nations. Do not be merciful to any wicked transgressors. Selah. 
At evening they return, they growl like a dog and go all around the city. Indeed, they vouch with their mouth. Swords are in their lips, for they say, who hears? But you, O Lord, shall laugh at them. You shall have all the nations in derision. I will wait for you, O you, his strength. For God is my defense. My God of mercy shall come to meet me. God shall let me see my desire on my enemies. Do not slay them. Lest my people forget, scatter them by your power and bring them down, O Lord, our shield. For the sin of their mouth and the words of their lips, let them even be taken in their pride and for the cursing and lying which they speak. Consume them in wrath, consume them that they may not be, and let them know that God rules in Jacob to the ends of the earth. Selah. And at evening they return, they growl like a dog and go around the city. They wander up and down for food, and how if they are not satisfied? But I will sing of your power. Yes, I will sing aloud of your mercy in the morning. For you have been my defense and my refuge in the day of my trouble. To you, O my strength, I will sing praises. For God is my defense, my God of mercy. Point number three, after reading this psalm. God wants us to look to Him for our, in our trials. See, David did not take matters into his own hands, even though he had every right to do it. He had every right to kill, to kill King Saul. And so what we can learn from David as we see his heart and his mind, what does he do? He asked God to take out the enemy. Remember what the Lord said about revenge? He says, it's not yours, but vengeance is who? It's mine, says the Lord. See, that's what we see from David, right? We see the fact that David here is showing us that, you know what, that he's trusting in the Lord. He's saying, Lord, you take out my enemies. You're my defense. You deliver me. You save me. And which gives us point number four now. Point number four is that God wants to be praised through our trials. Can we do that? Can you and I praise the Lord while we're going through our trials? Can we say, praise you, Jesus? Can we say, you know what? You're my defense. You're my rescue. You're my refuge. You're my strength. You're my everything. And I will praise you. And I will love you. And I will worship you no matter what I'm going through. This is what you see David doing at this very moment. When he is going through these trials, he is praising God and reminding God that God is the God of mercy. And being that he is a God of mercy... He will be merciful towards David. And he will receive the glory and the honor throughout his trial. See, you and I, can we come to a place of having the heart and the mind of David? <coughs> it's not an easy thing, is it? Can we praise God through our trials? Can we praise Him and, and worship Him and, and you know what, drop to our knees and just say, Lord, I love you. It's hard, but I'm going to worship you no matter what. You, I have all, you know what, my walls are coming down on me. The, the storm is so vicious. The waves are so high. The fire is ready to burn me up. The giants are so big, but you know what, Lord, I will praise you. Can we do this? It's a difficult thing. But yet we see if David can do it, so can you and so can I. We can do as David did. He was no different than us. He bled like us. He was a man like us. But yet he chose to worship and to praise God through the trial. Verse 13, as we keep reading, says this. And Michal took an image and laid it in the bed, put a cover of goat's hair for his head and covered it with clothes. So when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, he is sick. Imagine this. I want you to know this image that Michal had. I'm going to give you insight. We don't have great, a lot of insight to go into this. But this is an idol that she had. You want to know the heart of his wife? She had other idols. She had other gods. She had an image, and she decides to put gold here and put him in the bed and say that he's sick. You know, I mean, again, you remember who Mikhail is? She's also the one that, that ridicules David when the ark is brought back to Jerusalem. Her heart wasn't sold out for God. And David says, I will humble myself, and I will dance before the Lord 
I don't care what you say, but I will love him. And did you know because of that, because of how she came against David, did you know that David disdained her? David didn't like her. David never slept with her again. David never went with her again. He still kept her as his wife, but he didn't partake with her at all anymore. And she never bore children. Her heart wasn't right with the Lord. Even though she loved David, but she didn't love God. She didn't love God the way David loved God. She didn't love God. She wasn't surrendered to God. She had other idols. And as we look here at verse 15, it says, And Saul sent messengers back to see David, saying, Bring him up to me in the bed, that I may kill him. Understand this, is that David got up, I mean, Saul got upset, right? Because the messengers go back and say, Saul, your, your daughter says that he's sick. So he says, I don't care if he's sick. You go get him and get the bed. You bring him here. We're going to kill this man. Verse 16 goes on to say, And when the messengers had come in, there was the image in the bed with a cover of goat's hair for his head. Then Saul said to Michal, Why have you deceived me like this and sent my enemy away so that he has escaped? And Michal answered Saul, He said to me, Let me go. Why should I kill you? Saul basically asked his daughter, why did you deceive me? Remember, this is his daughter. And both daughter and son are standing, are, are helping David. Isn't that crazy that both of them aren't falling for their father and his, and his wicked behavior? They're standing up for David. But see, what's happened here with, with, uh, with Michal, she did a good thing because remember what it says in Genesis 2.24. It says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. So she's in the right to obey her husband and to defend her husband. But you know what? She really doesn't stand up for David the way she should. Because see, what you see here, what she says is that she lies. She says, you know what? You know what David said? He said, let me go. Why should I kill you? She's telling Saul that, you know what? David, he threatened me. So I had to let him go. And instead of saying, you know what, Dad? David is innocent. Jonathan told you he was innocent. Why are you trying to kill my husband who's done no wrong against you? Instead, she lies and she says, you know what? He wanted to kill me. You know, this wasn't good of Michal. She should have just stood up to her dad and stood up for righteousness like her brother. We keep reading verse 18. It says, so David fled and escaped and went to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and stayed in Naioth. And it goes on to say, Now it was told, saying, Take note, David is at Naioth in Ramon. Okay? Imagine, I want to share this with you. David goes with Samuel at Ramon in Naioth. And what David does is he tells Samuel everything. He tells Samuel, you know what? This is what Saul's been doing. He's been trying to take my life. He's after me. He wants to kill me. Jonathan helped me. My wife helped me. She, you know what? She, she allowed me to, to escape. She found out they were trying to kill me. And so he tells him everything. I'm going to share this with you. I don't think not one time that David speak negative against Saul. Because he knew that was God's anointing. He could have taken him out at any time. But I want you to know this. Is that God sent him to Samuel. Because David needed words of encouragement. David needed words of encouragement. See, I'm going to fill you in on Samuel. Just like David. David is what? The king of Israel. He's... He, he is the one that God has chosen to be the king of Israel, right? And he stripped, away, away from, he stripped the throne away from Saul. So David is, you know what? I should be king, but I guess we'll wait upon God's timing. Samuel went through the same thing. Samuel was rejected by the people. Remember, he was the judge. He was the one that was in charge. People would go to him for everything, but the people demanded a king. They didn't want Samuel anymore. Samuel was rejected just like David has been rejected at the moment. And I want to bring you point number four. 
This is a real important point when we go through trials. God will send people to comfort us in our trials. You see here, Samuel that was going through the same thing. Understand this, is that God sent David to Samuel to be comforted by him. Look at what it says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Understand this, when you go through trials, when you've been perfected through them, when, when, you've, when, you've, when you've graduated from your trials, I want you to know this, God doesn't want you to hold it back. God's desire is that when you see somebody else going through what you went through, because God will bring these people to you, oh, you'll hear about it, and you'll hear that, you know what, this person is going through this. Why does it come to you? Because God is hoping and expecting you to go and comfort them. That's what He wants you to do. But yet many times we're like, oh, I'm so embarrassed. Or you know what, I don't want to talk about my trial was a hard thing. Or we say, you know what, you know what, let them go through it. I went through it. You know what, this isn't our attitude. When you hear people going through trials, and you hear for a reason because God wants you to comfort them. He's the one that brought you through. He's the one that brought you great comfort. He's the one that allowed you to go through it, matured you and grew you and made you more like Him. So what are we to do? Comfort others. That's what we've been called to do. We went through the trial. And understand this, when you comfort others, guess who? Guess what you're doing there? You are worshiping and praising God. That's a part of your worship. You know why it's a part of your worship? Because you're bringing glory and honor to God. You will worship God as you speak to somebody else. And you will remind them that it is God that brought you through. It is God that helped you. It is God that carried you. And through every trial, I want you to know this. At the end of every trial, I want you to know this, that every trial, as well as everything that we go through, God desires to be worshipped. I don't know if you know this, every healing that He did, every miracle that He did, God was always worshipped. That's what He wants from us. We gotta get out of this, you know, this thing of, of, you know what, of building walls. We're, we're supposed to be a united people that help one another when we go through trials. To comfort them. Just like David, he needed to, you know what, he needed some encouragement, you know, as he was going into the biggest trial that he would for the next 10 years, he needed to hear an encouragement from Samuel. And God sent him there. And God gave it to him. Let's keep reading. Verse 19 says, or verse 20 says, Then Saul sent messengers to take David. And when they saw the group of prophets prophesying, and Samuel standing as leader over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. Imagine this. And when Saul was told, he sent other messengers, and they prophesied likewise. Then Saul sent messengers again a third time, and they also prophesied also. I want you to know this as we, close, as, we, as we finish there. Understand this is that Saul sent messengers. He sent soldiers to capture David. And as they're going after David, they see Samuel, the prophet. He has his disciples, those that he was teaching to be prophets. And they're all prophesying. You know what this means here? It means that they were praising God. They were under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and they were praising God. It is believed that they were singing praises to the Lord at this time. And I want you to know what's amazing about this. Remember I told that, I let you know that God is above and greater than the trials. Did you know what God did with all these messengers? These were soldiers that were there sent to kill and to capture David. You know what he does? He changes their hearts. Imagine that. He changes their hearts so that they in turn begin to worship God. This is the God that we serve. He changes hearts. He can change the hearts of kings. He can change anyone to do whatever he, whatever he wants him to do. And the reason he did this was to protect David. This is what's so amazing. He changes their hearts to protect David. Let's keep reading. So then verse 21 says, or 22 says, Then he, all, he also went to Ramal and came to the great well that is in Sekou, 
So he asked and said, where are Samuel and David? And someone said, indeed, they are at Naioth in Ramah. So he went there to Naioth in Ramah. Then the Spirit of God was upon him also, and he went on and prophesied until he came to Naioth in Ramah. And he also stripped off his clothes and prophesied before Samuel in the like manner, and lay down naked all day and all night. Therefore they say, is Saul also among the prophets? You know what's amazing about this? Saul says, forget this. I keep hearing that all the men that I'm sending, they're all prophesying. They're all now, you know what, inspired by the Spirit of God, and they're not coming back. They're praising God, so I'm going to go on my own, and I'm going to get David. So he goes, and guess what happens to him? The Spirit of God comes upon him. And he begins to prophesy, he begins to praise the Lord, and when he praises the Lord, the Lord humbles him. You know how he humbles him? He has him take off his royal clothes. Imagine this. He went with his royal clothes, he went like a king, right? Thinking, I'm going to get David, right? I'm going to go there. And guess what happens? He goes there and the Spirit of God changes his heart. He makes him worship God to the point that he lies down naked. And I'm not talking about... Everybody says that Saul was naked with no clothes. When you look at the word here, the Hebrew word is arom. Aromi. And I want you to know what it means. It means to be fully or partially nude. He took off his garment. He just had the undergarment on. But God humbled him. And the reason I say this is point number five. Point number five. God does not allow the trial to destroy us. Point number five. God does not allow the trial to destroy us. You can rest in this. That God will never allow the trial that you're in to destroy you. Look at what it says in Isaiah 43. And we're going to close with this. Isaiah 43 verse 2 says this. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Amen? This is what God is showing us today. He will not allow the trial to destroy us. You know why? Because the title of today's message was, Greater, God is greater than our trials. God is greater than our trials. And don't ever forget that. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for your amazing insight here on your word and the fact that you are greater than any trial we face, that you are greater than the trials that we are in, that you are greater than it all. But we know you have a plan and a purpose and they are to make us more like you. Lord, continue to shape us and mold us. Continue to strengthen us. Continue to send people to comfort us. Continue to do a mighty work in us, protecting us. Lord, it's hard though. It's very difficult. And I pray that as you spoke to us today that we would all be encouraged in knowing that whatever trial we faced, and David went through a heavy trial for 10 plus years, he was a fugitive. He ran like a wild animal. But yet, as we learned at the very end, you made him the greatest king over all of Israel and in the history of Israel. And we know that is the same thing you want to do with us. As you put us through the various trials, help us to count it all as joy. If there are any here that need prayer, if there are any here that, that are going through trials and, and you just need you need prayer as you heard these words, prayer to walk in the points that were given to us. I'm going to ask you now just to let me pray for you. Lord, for everyone here, that is going through a trial. And you gave us these five points, Lord. Points to remind us that you are greater than the trials that we face. I pray that you strengthen us. 
I pray that we're able to walk to worship you and praise you even through our trials. That we would allow your words of comfort. That we would allow your supernatural work upon our lives to shape us and mold us and to know that we are becoming more like you. That there's a reason for these trials. Help our faith, Lord. Help us not to give up. Help us to persevere. Because one thing that we know is that you turn all things together for good to those that love you and are called according to your purpose. Lord, we just want to tell you that we love you and everyone that is going through a trial in this place. Be with them. Strengthen them. And may they remember these points. Lord, you are an amazing God. And as your word said, you will not let the waters overflow us. You will not allow the fire to burn us, to scorch us. No matter what giant we face, you are greater and you are mightier. Lord, we want to tell you that we love you, we praise you, we thank you, and we say these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.